Hello everyone, this is episode 9 of Under the Wig, our NADOC Week special. I'm Marnie McKenna. And I'm Ellie Smith. Our episode today is brought to you by MSLS, the College of Law and Clayton Oots. The College of Law offers the largest range of flexible, practical legal training programs in Western Australia. With online part-time and full-time study options and more than 10 start dates, you can fit PLT around your schedule. Google the College of Law to learn more. Clayton Oots is a leading Australian law firm known for its client-centric approach and down-to-earth culture. We have grown, cultivated, and offer the sharpest legal minds. We deliver the clearest advice that cuts through the complexity so our clients can focus on the things that really matter. With 166 partners and over 1,600 employees across six offices, Clayton Oots continue to build our reputation for confident, innovative, and incisive legal advice. Clayton Oots is proud of their commitment to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples through its Reconciliation Action Plan. Today we're here with Dr Robert Isaacs, a highly respected Indigenous elder from the Wajak Bibulman Wadandi Noongar language group, who has introduced incredible programs across housing, health, government policy, education, social justice and community. Good morning uh, listeners, good morning people. My name is Dr Robert Isaacs, AM. Uh, I'm a Noongar elder from country of Wajak country in Perth and the southwest area of Western Australia. I have long, I belong to three language groups, the Wadadi people, Bustleton Market River, the Bibbermon people of the southwest, and of course Wadja people in Perth. And it's good to be talking to you this morning. It's great to be talking to you as well. Would you like to start us off with today's episode with a welcome to country? Yeah, I say, uh, we say Kaya, Wanja, Wanja, Wunja, Nunga, Buja. That is welcome to country, to the, the Wajra people, the people of the, the southwest, the 14 clans, the tribal groups we have right through the, uh, the metropolitan area, through the uh, Wheat Belt, through the Midwest area, down into the Great Southern and the southwest area. So there's uh, a welcome to all my friends and people and uh, the Noongar people and the Wajra people we call. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, just to start us off, we would love to know a little bit about your upbringing and how it's influenced your life and uh, course of career over the years. Well, uh, it, my life started uh, not very uh, pleasant, you could say. Uh, I was removed from uh, my mother at, the, uh, at six months years of age from the King Edward Hospital, which is a major hospital in uh, Perth and Subiaco, and was moved from, from that hospital straight away into the care of the uh, Sisters of, of, of St Joseph's, which is a founding home for infants, for young males and females in, in, those, in those days. And uh, as you got older, up to the age of four, they moved you on to another institution. And this, uh, the way I, where I went to, it was uh, run by the Christian Brothers, which was Castle Deer Boys Home in Wilson uh, there. And then as you got older, then they moved you on to another institution, and that was Clontarf Boys Town, where I finished my uh, upbringing and education there. So that was the beginning of uh, young Robert Isaacs, you could say. Not known where my uh, siblings were, mum and dad, relations, where they had brothers and sisters. I didn't even know about any of them. I didn't even know about my Aboriginality. And uh, so the 17 years in these institutions was hell to me, as far as I'm concerned. And um, it also affected um, a lot of other boys in that institution because a lot of them were migrants from overseas, from uh, England, Wales, uh, Malta and other countries that were brought over under the migration scheme back in the uh, 40s and 50s into the early 60s. And they were saturated in these institutions. Contar 
Castle there, Sister Capes, Ben Doon, Tarden Mission, you name it. They're all allocated into these areas, not known about Australia and not known where their their siblings and their loved ones from. So I had to go through that area of um, of uh, uh, trying to understand as a young boy uh, why I was placed in an institution and thought I was getting the tender loving care, which I really didn't think I was getting because um, even though the brothers, uh, their only philosophy and theme was education, they really didn't have the skills and the, the tender loving care about a young child because they weren't skilled enough to, uh, when it came to mental health issues and uh, counselling and, and preparing us for life. And when we externally leave those institutions, what we're supposed to do when we go into a big, big world and a big, big community. So how did you later on discover your Aboriginal heritage? Well, what I, when I was a young boy growing up, I used to, uh, I used to word bunk. Uh, we used to use that word, uh, move, walk out of the college for about two to three hours and go into the bush. And in those days around Waterford, Clontarf, where Curtin University is now, uh, there was a lot of pine, thousands of pine plantations, but it was bush country. And um, as a boy, I, was, I had this smell of, smell of sense about, about bush, about the waters and about the rivers. And I would be away for about two or three hours and just sitting down in the bush there, looking at the skies, looking at the birds, looking at the, um, the whatever the sky was, whatever the weather was, uh, the movements of animals like rabbits and, um, and, and, and so on. Um, that gave me a sense of uh, that something was there about uh, where, I, who, where I come from and who I was. And um, in the days of, uh, in these institutions, you were never asked about your culture. You never ask about your Aboriginality. You never ask where you come from. And I can remember this big brother, uh, Brother Dowdy is his name. I fronted him, well, I was only seven years of age and he was six foot four. So when I say I fronted him, he, I just looked at him and I said, Mr, I want to know where my mum and dad is and why I'm in this, in this institution. And his words straight away were, you don't bother me and I won't bother you. So that was a total rejection about um, about not known or known where about uh, what I was, what I was, what was Robert Isaacs all about, you know? And so mm. all these 17 years in the institution, it was a 24 seven. You had no one visiting you. You didn't have the native welfare people uh, who put you in the government department, put you in these institutions. Not one time did, a, did an officer came and visit me to see what my, whether my, about my welfare, how I was getting on, food, clothes, education and so on. So I was really at loss um, uh, right through those 17 years uh, as an orphan, you could say, and as a person who who just did not know about about uh, what I was going to be expecting later on when I leave that institution. So I was told bluntly that um, once I left Clontarf, Boys Town, at the gates of Clontarf, this Christian brother walked me down to the gates and, and said, Isaacs, when you leave the gates of Clontarf, don't ever return. Now, that was something un, uh, un, un, unheard of, far as I'm concerned, because I, I was brought up in a Catholic faith and I thought the brothers, when they give you a good, good education, you learn about God, about the faith of, of, of God and about uh, what the church was all about. I, I Totally, I felt I was at loss that all that was wasted when that comment was made by, by, the, by one of the brothers there. So um, I'll have a lot more to say about what, what happened after that. Mm-hmm. 
I can't imagine how terrifying that must be at 17 years old to sort of leave with just the clothes on your back. Yep, uh, you didn't get money. You didn't get uh, anything other than this little suit, not of a suit box case, I call it, with a pair of socks and underwear. And um, and uh, when you leap the gates of Clontarf, um, you're on the other side of the gate and you had to put your two feet down and then walk into Perth, uh, which was the place that I had to go to, to the... Um, to the welfare department there, uh, to be housed and accommodated and all this sort of thing. So um, I had to find my own my own way, and um, and I, I made a, a in my mind I was very conscious of what I wanted to wanted to do to make sure that I don't get into into strife or into trouble with the law. I wanted to make sure that I went back to education. I wanted to discipline myself because at at Clontarf these institutions were. Where they, they were very disciplined that if you got out of out of order, then you cop six of the best and all this sort of thing. But I uh, got that. But I was uh, a guy that um, that was different, you could say, and that uh, wanted to really uh, build something that I never knew that it, it would happen to me as I grew older in my in, in my in my age and in my life. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Um, you've also done some work to improve relations between Aboriginal people and the justice system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that work and why it's so important? Yes, well, uh, I've been to justice now, justice of the peace for 40 years now, and I uh, took up that commission uh, when it was offered to me by the secretary in those days, which is now the Attorney General. Uh, there wasn't many Aboriginal justices around here in Western Australia. Uh, they were coming on board gradually, but um, I was given that, that uh, um, appointment uh, through the governor. And uh, as a justice, you play a very important role uh, in, the, in the community. And uh, one thing that I wanted to, to uh, use and, and use my, my knowledge and, and strength in this area was to visit uh, not at the prisons like uh, institutions where Aboriginal people were incarcerated. The women's prisons was the same. The justice plays a varying role in the bail act and going to the prisons to execute the bail act to keep people out of prison, give them an opportunity to set their their life and their their ways, how they're going to manage uh, their life, and not get into serious trouble or even be uh, readmission back into the prisons. The justice uh, plays a very important role in the legal system uh, with the Aboriginal legal services, uh, working with the uh, the, high, the the chief justice of the high court, justices, magistrates. You name it, um, I was able to um, use my skills through the reconciliation process, and um, and I got to be known uh, in that area that, um, that that there was a very serious issue happening here where Aboriginal people were constantly being imprisoned, for no, for no, even sometimes no fault of their own, because a lot of tribal people who come from the desert and through the through the remote areas never understood the white man's law. And uh, we talk about their law, which is LAW, and we talk about LORE. So when a young man or a lady was uh, fronting the magistrate or the judge, they were talking their dialect, their, their, their language. They didn't talk English. And so we had that problem. And so what I did was set up the Aboriginal Turbot Services through, through the uh, major government departments, uh, the justice system, uh, the hospitals and the prisons. And, um, and that uh, was run by the Aboriginal Medical Service, which I uh, was able to get some funding through the Commonwealth Government as a starting point. That was back in 1975 that this, this happened. So you can see there's been a long, long period of uh, 
of uh, terms of issues that Aboriginal people going through the white man system and, uh, and not understanding what the English law was all about. And But Aboriginal people had their ways of dealing with the punishment and that sort of thing. But that really wasn't accepted because if you hurt someone, then you can be up for an assault. So what I try to do is when I speak to many people uh, at universities or colleges and so on, is that the justice system is there for everyone, uh, one law for one people. And uh, but it, it, it wasn't to put the fear into into people that um, that um, that the, the the legislators who, 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 who make these laws in each state of, of, of parliament throughout Australia introduce their laws and then um, everyone has to abide by it. But um, I was lucky that I was able to um, be a part of that and work with a lot of good people um, who have moved on in this area, and I'm still carrying out that role, signing passports. Uh, warrants, um, affidavits, you name it, birth certificates. Uh, it's a very important role. It's a volunteer role, but you put your heart and soul into it, and that's been rewarding for me. Um, I've also been reading that you have done work with mentoring sessions with young people. What do you find most rewarding about that specific kind of work? I find it very rewarding, and um, I'll go back to about when I was told never to come back to Clontarf, well, I did go back to Clontarf because uh, the institution had been had, had shut down in 1972. It was no longer an institution for, for disadvantaged people, orphans and so on. And um, uh, what uh, we didn't know at the future of Clontarf, that there were two people who had their, um, I call their gluey eyes on the Clontarf campus, the building and the land. One of them was Alan Bond and another bloke was Dallas Dempster who wanted uh, to build the Birdswood Casino type at Clontarf. Now he built that first casino, which everyone knows about. And Alan Bond wanted to showcase that one and make it a, a golf course and almost desecrate the buildings, heritage buildings. We didn't know about that, but what we got wind of, the Noongar people and people like myself, that we wanted to seek an audience with the Christian brothers who own the land you know, at Lock, Stock and Barrel. And we just fronted them and said, we'd like to set up a college and education school for our, our children. Uh, who were dropouts from the private sector and public sector of education. And I'm talking about kids about eight, uh, there's been a gap from eight years of age to 14 years of age, you know, just, just don't turn up to school. And so mm -hmm. we put that, um, put that case to the Christian brothers in those days. And we were told that, that we won't get an answer until about two or three weeks. We got a uh, message back from the brothers saying that they, uh, that they were very happy to at uh, least the, the whole of the campus and, and, and contact to the Aboriginal Noongar community. And so we went about setting the college up, which is there today. And, uh, and it's been a very successful college. Um, thousands of Aboriginal males and females have gone through their education from the age of 14 to 18. We prepare them for life. We get them the curriculum, what they want, with the tech, technology. Of course, we've got the basketball academy and the football academy there. All that was introduced in my times when we set up the college itself. So that's the only uh, campus and college around Australia. It's been a very successful one. And I'm so proud of that to go back and talk to the, to the assemblies and the, the kids there about their education. And uh, by saying to the kids there that you have a great opportunity today, more so than I had when I was here as a, as a, as a young boy, not knowing about my background and heritage. I said, these kids have a family to go back to and you're going to be, you're going to be given an opportunity to prepare yourself for life. 
And what I used, what we were doing in those days, talking to the young ones, was to get people into at Contar, like the police academy, the army, the navy, the airport, to see if we can recruit a lot of these young males and females uh, if they wanted a career in those armed forces. And then we get the mining companies and other people on site to uh, talk to them about uh, about advancement of career and so on. So it wasn't just to be just about an education, it was to prepare these kids and put them a different perspective in their minds, the young minds and their brains, that uh, Contact is there to, uh, to help our, our mob. And all these kids came from the Kimberleys, where I am at the moment in Broome, uh, the Pilbara, Darwin, Southwest, Goldfields, Gilton, you name it. They all wanted to put their hands up. And Contact can only take 200 students and that sort of thing. But um, one good thing that I'm very happy why Clontarf was picked. Uh, we didn't know about Her Majesty the, the Queen wanted to visit Western Australia and wanted to visit the school. And um, Clontarf was amongst 20 other schools that were being considered for Her Majesty to be to visit. And I got a call from the Premier's office and the protocol people saying that um, we need to speak to you as the chair. And, um, and, and I said, well, what, what about? And they said, well, Imagine the Queen's coming over next in the next couple of months and Clontarf would like her to come to your school and show her around and all that sort of thing. And what was happening there, that we were um, we just were completing a new hostel, brand new beautiful hostel. We raised a lot of funds of $16 million to, to build a hostel for the girls and the boys. And um, when Her Majesty was... Uh, we, we got the nod and then Her Majesty came to Clontarf for a few hours. We had a big welcome. Uh, welcome and she cut the ribbons of a new village, but she was so interested, just moving around the campus, talking to the young kids, and I said, well, this is what it's all about. You know, people who are, people like yourself, the Majesty, you know, leaders, and they look up to people like yourself, and people like um, anyone that's a role model in this area, and that's what it's all about, and that's why I say to the young ones, grab it, the opportunity's there for you. It's not always on the football field, I said, because football is a lifespan of 10 years, but what happens after 10 years, you've got to find a job. Having skills and, 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 and giving these young kids confidence and the ability and to get people out there to, um, to even talk, male and female, is, is worthy is worthy offered because their mums and dads sometimes lack that education because uh, they were brought up disadvantaged on reserves and, and missions. They never had that opportunity where these young kids now I've taken that, and, and I'm happy to, to say, as a as a boy that never had that opportunity, meet myself. Uh, I see good things happening for the future of our Aboriginal male students. Um, for current students, particularly studying law, native title and land rights are becoming such an important focus um, in our degrees. Do you have any advice for students who are looking to work in that area and follow kind of in your footsteps? Yeah, well, I'm happy to say that um, when you talk, look to talk to people like uh, the Honourable Ben White, who's the who just retired from politics. Um, ben was, is a qualified lawyer. Uh, as you know, he became the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, land rights and all this sort of thing. But I've seen so many Aboriginal people who have now come magistrates, like um, um, Sue Gordon, uh, she's a well-known magistrate, she just retired. But there's a lot of Aboriginal people going into universities now, even through Murdoch there, you know, through the campus, become lawyers, doctors, medicine, uh, heritage stuff. They, uh, they 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 want to get up into that higher esteem of of, of, um, of positions uh, that would make them uh, rewarded in their career. So when they go back to their country, their community, 
they come out qualified people as lawyers, doctors, nurses, you name it. And it's been happening for the last 20 years or more that I've seen this success. And these young kids, once they get their, their, their law degree and graduates, they're able to not only go back to the university to, to, give, to talk to them, but they're able to get well-identified positions within the, within the law chambers and, 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 and they understand, they get to know, when they go to the Aboriginal legal services, because a lot of these law students, when they're young, they need to go to an Aboriginal organisation that is running the business like law, because about how Aboriginal people are fronting the law, how they came to be in strife, is it a cultural thing? Is it uh, something that, was, um, that uh, they copied off someone else? There's a lot to this. So the Aboriginal Legal Service right across Australia has been around for, since 1972. They've played a very important role. And we've been seeing the successful firm of uh, lawyers like Fred Cheney, who was Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Ian Bynum, the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. You know, people have uh, they went to the Aboriginal Legal Service to know more about, about, about how they would uh, play their role in understanding the law and justice uh, of the Aboriginal people, especially those people um, who don't understand, who sit on benches, who sit in, in courts in, in Western Australia, in Perth, and then when something goes wrong up in one of these communities, in remote communities about punishment, that is not accepted by the white man's way, you know? Mm. And, and they don't understand why he or she has done something that is contrary to their law. And yet Aboriginal people do have a law, but I don't mean by, um, by betting and doubting them, is that they do have a, a, a way of punishing their people, you know, not, not in, a, in a manner that can almost uh, kill them, you could say. But the thing is, they, there's a lot to learn about more, about the Aboriginal customary law is very important to understand for young lawyers, young kids, male or female, who are going through these courses, because they've got to go to an Aboriginal organisation, whether it's law, health, progress association, business management, you name it, yeah? Um, and I've seen that happen over a long period of time, and a lot of these people are now very successful in, in their career, in their jobs, and they're able to understand when they sit on the bench, they understand that Joe Blow was funding the court for a minor thing, that uh, we won't send you to prison, but there's a program out there for you to be the next six months so you don't get into trouble again, whether for rehabilitation, for alcohol, now drugs have come into the scene unnoticed and so on and so on. So there's a learning pattern here that uh, you don't go out to kill and if someone sits on the bench and is going to fix you up and put you away forever. That is not the way to treat justice and not the way to treat people, whether it's black issue or white issue here, you know? So that's what I'm mm -hmm. all about. I'm able to advise the magistrates and judges and young males and females going through these uh, schools, through university and law, law uh, courts, is that you um, must listen to people especially Aboriginal elders, male and female, who understand their law and, and then they will then want in turn understand what the white man's law is all about, you know? So mm -hmm. there's a good balance area, there's a good way of exchanging of these programs, so be it. Yeah. Um, the theme for this year's Maydoc Week is Heal Country. What does that mean for you? Healing? Uh, well, I'm still going through that healing process still, to be honest. Um, um, healing the country, well, with uh, country, community. Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's been around for a long, long time through the reconciliation process, through the sexual abuse uh, 
situation. And I don't like bringing that word up about sexual abuse, but as part of the, um, the healing process, we call it, they've got to go through programs and just someone did something to someone 40 years ago or 30 years ago or last week. Um, it is a healing because uh, when uh, Captain Cook came into this country, um, we know that uh, uh, things didn't go right. Uh, mm -hmm. They fronted the uh, Botany Bay there about uh, the killing, the massacre that took place. That is still history. And that, that's still in the minds of, of the First Nations people of this country. And, um, and that's why you have a day where Australia Day, for instance, uh, January the 26th, where you get the big protests about why we should celebrate the 26th, uh, which is the day for everyone. And I have to say to you that I sit on the national board of the National Australia Day Council, so I'm a board member, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm the Aboriginal representative on that board. So it's very difficult for me sometimes to um, to um, challenge anyone in regards to why you not not um, why you keep uh, talking about the past instead of going forward and um, and looking back type sort of thing. You know, you, you can't go forward if you keep looking back. But I try and not get into that messy area. And so the healing thing, it will always be there and uh, forever in the day because Aboriginal people were hurt. You know, they were driven from their country, they were shot, they were killed, they were raped, murdered, you name it. And, um, and, uh, and that's, the, that's the history of the colonisation of the English uh, system that brought this stuff into Australia and, 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 and they, they got a lot to answer. You know, they took the land mm -hmm. first. And then and, and, and made it very difficult for Aboriginal people to be to be um, to be to stand up against the bloody brutality, I call it, of guns and, and, and the English law that prevented Aboriginal people who were just driven off their country and and, and, and you know, rich lands of people are benefit now. You know, these, these people who came in there and, and, and enormous wealth. Uh, of, um, of Aboriginal country. It, it, you know, you've got Andrew Forrest and that muddy mob making billions of dollars, you know, and um, just wondering whether that money goes back into into the community, you know, to the First Nations mm -hmm. people. So we're saying to, um, to, uh, to the Australian community, um, you know, there's a healing process still going on. We're hurt about it and we'll, we'll never forget about it. So having this healing thing is a good thing but um, healing, you do it so many ways, through prayer, through church, through counselling, whatever, you know. But it's, I think it's, um, it's up to the nation, the, the whole Australian nation, 25 million people, to come on board and um, when Aboriginal people celebrate NAIDOC Week, NAIDOC Week brings out the best of our people, of the organisations that we have here in Australia. It brings out the best service of arts, heritage, culture, talk about the uh, organisations that I've mentioned, the legal service, medical service, Aboriginal people being achievers in their, in their ways on the football field, Aboriginal people taking off the big awards like on Australia Day, you know, um, coming the Australian of the Year like Kathy Freeman, Adam Goods, Yoshi Yindich, David Werpunda. You know, these people are setting these high awards, you know. That's what MADOC is all about, celebrating the rich culture of this, of this, of this nation. Reconciliation week. That brings out the best too also. It's reconciling the hurt of the past and so on. And of course we have Sorry Day, which, uh, which is a sad day uh, that Aboriginal people get their message across. So we still got those three events very productively operating within the, within the calendar years and they'll always be around for that, you know. And it will never end until, um, until this healing process takes place. And I reckon it's working. 
but it's still a long way to go. Just to wrap up, after having such a successful, impactful career, um, do you have any final advice for students to uh, take while they're studying and, and before they go into the workforce? Yeah, well, I'll tell you to the students, black and white, stick to it. Whatever your vocation is going to be, sit, uh, run with it, work with it. It may take five or six years or even more, longer to, to, uh, to achieve what you're what your uh, achievement would be, whether you go through graduation or not, because there's always a part-time studies and that sort of thing. But opportunity knocks here, and I, and I say to the young ones, they have some good mentors uh, that visit these, uh, these campuses. I know a lot of Aboriginal people who are high achievers are visiting Murdoch, they're visiting Curtin, they're visiting UWA. They even got their own little unit set up at these universities, I notice, where counsellors and uh, people can be uh, linked into with your programs there. And, and, and we have Aboriginal Radio, which is our great line, we call it. So take the opportunity uh, because you've got better, uh, you've got better ways of seeking good employment and it's a choice what you want to do with your, with your, uh, with your um, career, with your talents, and, uh, and you learn off a lot of people. And, uh, and Aboriginal people are the masters of this, I can tell you, because they have gone through it and like I have. And that's why I'm able to share my culture, my values, my leadership. And that's what we're looking for, leadership for our young males and females, whether it's a black issue or a white issue. We've, uh, you've got to, if you become a leader, then people will look up to you and say, well, you're a well-educated person, male or female, and they will want to knock on your door all the time, you know, and, and, and seek the best advice and that sort of thing. And that's what Quantart is all about. These young men and women are now going out into the communities with high esteem and confidence and coming good citizens of this country and of, 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 their, of their community. That's really inspiring to hear. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us, Dr. Yes. Robert. It's been amazing to hear about your experiences. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure and it's good to talk to Murdoch University and uh, we can see people, I can't think of the name of their chancellor there, the lady, she's a big knock there. Uh, I, I sat on that board for a number of years, you know, advisory board there. But I had connections to uh, to your university, Kobadi, and I think it's still running there. But uh, people will know uh, if you do talk to them. Yeah, say hello to them for me. Bye bye. We wish to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land of the Wujuk people of the Noongar Nation, and pay our respects to elders, past and present. We respect the knowledge and laws that traditional elders and Aboriginal people in this place hold and pass on from generation to generation. We would also like to acknowledge the country that you are listening from and pay our respects to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Thank you once again to our sponsors at the College of Law and Clayton Notes. If you like this episode, follow us on all our socials at Murdoch Student Law Society for more.